You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday at 9 a.m. for small groups, 10 a.m. for worship, or anytime at asburybosier.org. So our word comes to us this morning from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, and it reads, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and run Come down, for I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we are in this new sermon series called A Thankful Neighbor this month, where we're talking about gratitude. For, for some of us, it's easy to be thankful for the things in our lives that directly benefit us, but what about for things that don't? How might we also be thankful for things that our neighbor is thankful for? How might that make us a better, more loving, and thankful neighbor? So last week, Tommy gave us an important message from Jeremiah on seeking the welfare of the city you're in, for in that city's welfare, you will find yours. And he defined who a neighbor is and what it might look like if we sought the welfare of our city and globe. So our task as the preachers was to interview someone on what they're grateful for. So naturally, I had about 37 ideas and how they could go. But I think something this sermon series is designed to do is to challenge us to see and hear new perspectives, completely different from ours, so that we might understand God's heart and God's call just a little bit better. Therefore, I decided to interview a fellow colleague in ministry. Her name is Reverend Linda Faye Matthews. She is a United Methodist deacon who works in two different settings. She's a licensed professional counselor who works with the specialty treatment courts, specifically in the reentry court in Jefferson Parish. And she's also the lead pastor of St. Mark's United Methodist Church in New Orleans. Now, this reentry court program that she works in is a specialty program that handles cases involving nonviolent, non sex offenders through a supervision, treatment, and mentor program in an attempt to reduce the high recidivism rates in Louisiana. Just recidivism is a big fancy word for people returning to prison. So prisoners who are serving life sentences 
or lifers, as they call them, at Angola Prison, which is one of the nation's largest maximum security prisons in the country, assist with rehabilitation of these newly sentenced prisoners. So these carefully vetted lifers who have transformed after years in prison, as one of them put it, wants to give back to the communities they once terrorized are selected as mentors for these new prisoners. The people in the program are also taught a trade, like welding, horticulture, culinary, HVAC, automotive mechanics, to name a few, and have other educational opportunities so that they can earn a livable wage upon release. They also receive counseling and substance abuse treatment. And if the person successfully completes this two-year program, they can petition the court to re-enter society. And if granted, they are put on probation under intensive supervision of a reentry court where they continue to receive the services needed to succeed, including community support, continued substance abuse treatment, and counseling. The website says we need to meet returning citizens at the gate. That's exactly what's happening here in Louisiana. People from all walks of life are coming together to give those re-entering an opportunity to succeed, which in turn will make all of our community safer. So my friend, Reverend Linda Fay, walks with these folks for about five years total. So let's watch some clips from the interview. So I'm Linda Fay Matthews. Um, I go by Linda Fay, and I am a professional counselor and I coordinate a reentry court in Jefferson Parish, Louisiana, and provide services. So reentry court is a specialized program for persons who have been in the criminal justice system for um, a long period of time. And we give them an opportunity to get some skills and some uh, programming um, by going to our maximum security prison, not because of the crime that they've done, but because that's where the training is mentored by persons who serving life sentences and um, I walk with them for five years mm. and they return to the community um, to help them get their lives on track and get out of this system and we say retire that DOC number. DOC number is the number they give you when you enter prison. Mm. So that's what I've been doing for about seven years now uh, and I, as a deacon uh, I've pretty much been doing the reentry program. I think when I was in the process, I was doing some other uh, justice work. But. So I'm with a participant through the whole process. So okay, um, I do an assessment on the front end before they actually come into the program. So I would get a, a correspondence from the ADA uh, assistant district attorney saying this is a referral, and I would assess the person to see if they're suitable for the program. Okay. Um, while they're in prison or? So this is through the adjudication process. So okay. Gotcha. Right after they take a plea. Got it. Okay. Interest in the program. Mm -hmm. So I would interface with them then, and then they would plea, and then I facilitate the paperwork to get them to the prison and get them transported there. Mm -hmm. And once they get there, I'm in communication with them throughout that whole process. We have quarterly check-ins. We have visits up there um, to the prisons so that they don't think that they're forgotten. Mm. There's no disconnect, but there's a continuity of care. 
That's wonderful. That whole process, if something happens up there and they need to talk to somebody, they can always have a phone call with me, when sometimes they can't have a phone call with their family. Mm -hmm. um, and so they would be at the uh, penal institution for about two years to get the programming. They get two national certifications. They get a GD if they need it. They're met wow. by a person serving the life sentences. They get substance abuse treatment. Uh, when all that programming is finished and the prison says they're ready, they petition the court to return to the community. And then I would walk with them for the next two and a half to three years where they uh, work toward integrating into society. That's great. And then clip number two, please. With these participants in your work at um, St. Mark's, where do you see a lot of gratitude happening with all of the people that you interact with every day? I should. <laughs> um, so I see gratitude. So in fact, we do, um, I have groups with my participants on Tuesday night. And, okay, uh, yeah. Often when we're ending the group, you know, I ask for gratitudes. Mm. Um, it's good. And so a participant would have the opportunity to talk about a gratitude. And we came to that model because we also do a piece that is called Cultivating Compassion. Oh. Okay. Um, for some of my participants, uh, they express building a wall of protection. Mm. And so that... Um, Compassion might not have been something that they were practicing readily in the public, maybe in private and with family, but not in public, but also not something that they were expressing to themselves. And so now, you know, sometimes the gratitude is just about um, being grateful that they are progressing, mm -hmm. to being productive citizens, being grateful for um, getting promotions on jobs, being grateful to have jobs, yeah. they pay their expenses. Uh, they laugh a lot about uh, having bills and not uh, running from them now, but paying them. <laughs> yeah. But that feels like they have money to be able to pay them. And uh, gratitude for their children and being able to be present and not in prison. Yeah. Uh, to be able to help their kids do homework. Mm. And to be able to uh, teach their kids some of the coping skills that they're learning. Yeah, that's amazing. Wow. It's a good one to pause on. <laughs> um, and hopefully uh, Linda, Linda Fay will let me um, release this. So if you couldn't hear, you know, it's, it's hard to hear in the sanctuary, I'm sure. So if we could also get my face off, that would be great. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so you heard a lot of really wonderful things, hopefully, um, from her and just saw a glimpse of this program. Um, she's a phenomenal person and servant um, doing incredible work for the kingdom. So hopefully we can get that out to you. So she shared a little bit in her groups. They always end with gratitude. So they do this program called Cultivating Compa Compassion with each other, and they always end with gratitude. And some of their responses to what they were grateful for struck me. And if you didn't hear them in the interview, this is what some of them were that she heard most often. They were grateful for progressing in the program, for being productive citizens, for having jobs, for getting promotions, for bills and expenses, having the funds to pay and not having to run from their bills, for children, 
for not missing time with their family, for being able to help their kids with their homework, and having tools and teaching their children the skills and coping mechanisms they learned in the program. They were thankful to meet obligations. How many of us, show of hands, are thankful for your power bill? Not me. This person is because it means they have a home. How many of us are thankful for our jobs? Especially 801. Oh, okay, so that's good. <laughs> Some of you, I guess I should raise my hand, Matt. This person is because it means they're a part of regular society and are able to provide for themselves and their families. How many of us are thankful to argue with our children about doing their homework or putting on pajamas, like that's a new thing every, mo every night? This person is because it means they are home with them, getting to be present in their life. And the list goes on and on. And I could just stop the sermon there because that's a lot to think about, being grateful like that. I once read about a guy who practiced a very interesting spiritual discipline. As he pays his bills, he writes, thank you, in the lower left-hand corner of every one of his checks. So when he pays his electric bill, he expresses his gratitude for electricity. When he pays his telephone bill, he expresses his gratitude for the miracle of communication and connection. When he pays his mortgage, he expresses gratitude for having a roof over his head and a comfortable place to live. So what would it look like for us to live like this man and the folks in this program, full of gratitude for even things that can seem mundane or even frustrating to us? Because often these are also reminders of our biggest blessings from God. It reminds me of that verse in 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you. And notice it doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances, but in all circumstances. I think that man from the story and the participants in this program show us that very clearly. But again, this series calls us deeper. Another thing we didn't uh, particularly have it in our clips, but something that Reverend Linda Fay talked about throughout was the way that these folks feel and are treated and the labels that they carry while in the prison system. Offenders, prisoners, inmates, criminals, problems, a number. She instead chooses to use people in prison or people with a criminal history, humans, and I'd add neighbors. It reminds them whose they are, no matter what label they're given or what they've done. It's people-focused, not problem-centered. For these are children of God, too, not numbers or labels of their sins and their past, but whose they are. You see, we don't get to put limits on who is our neighbor, is a child of God, or belongs in the kingdom of God on earth and in heaven. For we are ambassadors for the gospel, not bouncers for club heaven. Which brings us to our text today. And if you uh, went to a, a Sunday school growing up, 
the story of a wee little man, Zacchaeus, a short king, as the kids say today. Today we read the story of Zacchaeus, who is a chief tax collector in the city of Jericho. And Zacchaeus was marginalized not from an infirmity or a disability, but because of the choices he made, which is very different from the other outcasts that we read about Jesus encountering, the blind, the sick, the paralyzed, the bleeding, the dying, etc. Now, you may have heard this before, but at Jesus' time, tax collectors were not winning any popularity contests. Roman officials contracted with local entrepreneurs to collect the prescribed taxes, tolls, tariffs, and custom fees in a given area. These entrepreneurs were the chief tax collectors and were required to pay the contract in advance. They would then employ others to collect the taxes with the hope that the amount collected would yield a profit. So, of course, this system, unsurprisingly, was open to abuse. And Jews who collected taxes for the Romans were generally considered to be dishonest, called traitors, and were hated by other Jews. And there were no laws protecting the Jewish people, so tax collectors were known for charging more money than they were supposed to, effectively and legally robbing their own people in their own community to line their own pockets. Money that was supposed to be for their families, businesses, and food on the table. And then Jesus comes to town. This was towards the end of Jesus' ministry. He was on his way with the disciples to Jerusalem where he would soon be arrested, put on trial, and crucified. So there was a huge crowd in Jericho that had come to see Jesus. But because of the crowds and Zacchaeus probably being like four feet, he can't see Jesus. So he runs ahead and he climbs a tree. Now, this is the first significant part of this story. In that time and culture, as a grown person, both running and climbing, especially as a man of importance like Zacchaeus, was actually utterly undignified. But Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. And it's funny, ordinarily, you wouldn't be looking at things that weren't in your eye level right? So who knows? Zacchaeus may not have even thought Jesus would see him up there. But of course, Jesus knows that Zacchaeus has come to see him. Jesus sees Zacchaeus in the tree. When Jesus came down to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus probably jumps from the branches and Tom Cruise runs back to his house to prepare for Jesus' coming, what he must have been thinking, right? But to everyone else, it's a different story. All who saw it began to grumble and said, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. I can hear that with all the sass and anger in my mind, maybe confusion. And another peek into the culture of that time is that dining in someone's home was an honor. Eating with someone established a covenant relationship, which normally signified friendship and approval. And sinners was a general term covering persons who were not allowed to act as judges or witnesses because of their moral unreliability. The Talmud lists them as dice players, pigeon racers, also what? 
dealers and produce from the sabbatical year, robbers, herdsmen, customs officials, and tax collectors. Thus, the issue of eating with sinners was sensitive in Judaism because some believed that eating with such company conveyed an acceptance of that person's sin. And we read this in the scriptures often. The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. But Jesus preferred pursuing relationships and people that might lead sinners to God rather than staying away like most choose to do. And I think a lot of the time when I read scripture, I'm like, come on, Israelites. Really, disciples? That's what you want to say? Why do y'all keep doing and thinking and saying stupid things? But how many of us are like the crowd, might we grumble and have this reaction to someone, someone that we don't particularly like, someone that we don't get along with, someone who makes bad choices, maybe someone who even went to prison or are lifers in prison, someone like Zacchaeus who was morally unreliable. Who are our Zacchaeuses today? Who in our eyes is unfit to have Jesus come into our house. Jesus continues to expand, challenge, and deepen the law, the definition of neighbor, and what the kingdom of God looks like. You see, Jesus sees all of us in dignified and undignified positions. Or maybe you are Zacchaeus. Maybe you're sitting here today thinking you've not made the best decisions lately or feel forgotten or too far gone but Jesus sees you and he can change everything. He calls Zacchaeus by name and he knows yours too. In fact, did you know what Zacchaeus's name means? It means pure. Certainly not by the people's standards pre-meeting Jesus. Zacchaeus runs and climbs to see Jesus, is seen and called by him, has the honor of Jesus at his home, and everything changes. He turns from and makes amends for his past and people that he's hurt. And I love Jesus' response. He stands and makes this bold declaration, turning his life around, which will cost him much. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. Jesus is saying, he too is mine. He too is yours in the body of Christ. That's what son of Abraham means. Though he's messed up, made some bad choices, got off track, he is still mine and still belongs among my body of believers. I see him as pure, as mine, as yours. Friends, the gospel is for everyone, regardless of appearance, status, or what someone has done. And I think that's what the Lord is asking of us this morning. How do we be a better, more thankful neighbor? By expanding our thinking of who belongs in the body of Christ. Even and especially sinners like Zacchaeus and others we may not originally include today. For we all live and belong in the same neighborhood. But are we living and acting like it?
when I asked Linda Fay about the success of the reentry program, she said they have a 99% success rate for people that finish the program who do not go back to prison and become productive and helpful citizens in their communities. And I think that's largely in part to the thoughtfulness of the program design. There are teachers, classes, and counselors that are designed to help them overcome the barriers when they go back to society, but there are also mentors who walk with them in the program while they're incarcerated and afterwards. Mentors and sponsors in the community they're coming back to. And people like Linda Fay who walk with them throughout the entire process. And the impact of this continuity of care is unmatched. In fact, she shared that many keep in touch with the program folks. They send them updates and pictures of their families and jobs and housing. And many even encourage new people. They come back and they cheer them on and welcome other members who've completed it back into the community. That is something else we can be a thankful neighbor for and try to emulate in our communities. Embracing and walking with all of God's children because they too are sons and daughters of Abraham. They too are gods and belong in the body of Christ. And the last clip I want to show you comes from when I asked Reverend Linda Fay how her faith interacts with her work. Mm-hmm. For the longest time, I did not share that I was a deacon uh, or a pastor or any of that. I would, um, so, you know, you're not really allowed to talk about God in church, but um, I remember distinctly um, my participants would say, you're a Christian, aren't you? <laughs> Wow. What makes you say that? Uh, or they would, uh, one guy said to me, I see your light. Mm. Um, mm. So just little things, um, being who you are yeah. in faith and in Christ uh, comes through when you say the words of not. And how participants, but also my coworkers, you know, how they respond to me because of my faith. Mm. because of just being um, yeah that's amazing you're a Christian aren't you I see your light friends that is what it means to be a thankful neighbor the light of Christ shines from you so do we have that light and fragrance of Christ, of being a thankful and loving neighbor? Can people see the light radiating from you? Or do they just hear grumbling? What might that look like for us today in this context? Like we talked in the beginning, maybe being thankful for the blessings that God has given us that we do around this time of year, our families, our children, our places to stay, our jobs, maybe even our bills. And Reverend Linda Faye said, maybe being thankful for these specialty programs in the communities, look into them and how we can support them, support people who engage in that work, the judges, the compliance officers, caseworkers, people like Linda Faye, and also the people in prison who make that choice, who boldly choose the harder path and attempt to try and improve their lives, their children's lives in the community. Maybe it's becoming a mentor or a sponsor 
to try to help people get back on their feet and help keep that recidivism down. But she said, most of all, be open to hearing their stories, getting to know them as people, and try to remember that they too are sons and daughters of God. It's meeting them at the doors, welcoming them, treating them as neighbor and an integral part of our body of Christ. For remember, we don't assemble the guest list at the Lord's table. We are appointed as ambassadors of the gospel and lanterns of God's light. Not grumbling bouncers at the door of Club Heaven. So my prayer today is that we try to see through Jesus' eyes. Jesus, who deepens the law, the definition of neighbor, and what the kingdom of God looks like. So may we continue to open our eyes and hearts as a thankful neighbor and be the light to all around us. Amen.